Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Okay, well, everybody is very welcome to this morning's session, which is part of the HCI webinar series. My name is Una Gilvari, and I am the Chief Technical Officer in HCI. So as I said, you're all very welcome to uh, this uh, this um, webinar this morning. As I said, we, we've run a number of webinar series across the health and social care sectors, but this one is uh, with a focus in the International Protection Accommodation Services and how best to prepare for forthcoming regulation via the application of a gap analysis process. So before we begin, for those of you who may not know an awful lot about HCI, um, we help providers of health and social care services um, across the board make intelligence-driven decisions to attain, manage, and improve quality, safety, and regulatory compliance. And we do that through working to streamline, improve, and transform the processes to ensure not only regulatory compliance, but ensuring quality and safety of care and services for uh, service users. We're over no, almost 20 years in business now, and we have approximately 30 people on staff. And in our varied years of experience, we've helped uh, and supported over 600 health and social care services uh, to meet their regulatory compliance requirements in that regard. So the first question we ask for all of these webinars is really, why are we here? Um, well, I suppose what is, is certainly uh, with, with our experience, I'm sure with your experience also, the provision of any health and social care service, um, it poses a lot of challenges. And, and in most cases, this is directly related to the level of complexity in the service that's being provided. But if we look back to the Donabedon approach, I mean, the, the main reason for monitoring any health and social care service is about trying to identify opportunities to improve the performance where it has been highlighted that the service is not quite meeting the desired standard across the board. And I suppose with these type of headings, uh, headlines um, that we've all seen in the media, we can recognize that there is an inconsistency um, in some of the services being provided. So I suppose with that in mind, the regulatory framework model has been in development, and I'm sure you all are very aware of it for quite some time. Um, the EU legislation back in 2013, that was the aim to harmonize the reception conditions that were there for EU applicants throughout the EU for applicants for international protection. And the Irish legislation then incorporating that um, through uh, SI 230, giving effect to that directive in Ireland. In the background, there's a large number of best practice and direct uh, guidelines that have been in development uh, across the EU and across the board. Uh, one of those being the ESAO, the European Asylum Support Office, uh, providing um, operational standards really to support providers in the planning and running of reception facilities and also to support staff training. And with all of those in mind, the development then of the national standards that I'm sure you're all aware of now, um, looking to be applied to the living conditions and services provided to residents within accommodation centres. So with all of that regulatory framework in development for quite some time, um, I suppose the focus then was looking at who were going to be the monitoring authority that were going to implement um, the, the framework model um, that has been projected. Well, Roderick O'Gorman just earlier in the year had identified clearly that HICWA, the uh, Health Information Quality Authority, were going to be the permanent um, monitors of for IPA services against these national standards and that they had been working with HICWA over a number of years to prepare for this monitoring role and that it, 
uh, it was their intention at that time to commence inspections in 2023. So we know the ball was rolling uh, for, for a period of time. And in 2022, and again, I, I know you're all very aware of this, but it's just, I suppose, to give a grounding in it before we start talking about the gap analysis approach. But HICWA undertook their preparations to establish that regulatory function for monitoring and inspection of the IPAS services. And to support that, they, they ran a significant program of recruitment um, to develop the inspection and monitoring team specifically with the focus of I, uh, IPAS. Um, and I suppose to, to, to ensure that they had a full understanding in, in the approach that was going to be required for these uh, inspections, they carried out a number of pilot uh, inspections in December of last year. So within that pilot inspection, just three centres were looked at and, and the, the findings were that, that, that all three fell short in some regard in relation to meeting those national standards. And the issues included overcrowded facilities, some uh, issues with undignified conditions, that the facilities themselves were not providing a holy, homely environment, there was limited access to laundry, they found unsafe recruitment practices, including incomplete guard the vetting, limited space for children and with children and adults sharing beds. So they're just some of the key findings that uh, came through in those regard. So with all of this in mind, that regulatory framework and, and the, the positioning of HICWA as a monitoring authority, it has come to the the, the time, and I'm sure you're all actively working on it currently, about assessing the level of compliance that you currently have within your services. And it's time, I suppose, now that we have to ask those type of questions. Are you really preparing for regulation of the sector by HICWA? It's not just regulation of the sector, it's by a specific monitoring authority that have a lot of experience in monitoring health and social care services. Um, are, do we really know what this is going to mean for your service and do you know how it's going to really impact on the care and support that you provide to residents? Do you know, do you know how your processes are currently stacking up against what's actually going to be required? And are you asking yourselves the questions about are your processes really comprehensive? Are they really effective in what they try to achieve? And more, most importantly, are they person-centred? So these are all questions that I'm sure all of you are asking yourselves and you ask yourselves over a short and extended period of time. It hasn't something that has happened overnight. But in many cases, services are saying, yeah, well, you know, we are doing reviews, we are doing inspections, we are doing audits. But what we have to try and ask ourselves, you know, robustly is are these checks that we're doing currently, are they just tick box exercises or are they really driving um, continuous improvement and really assessing compliance against the benchmarks that HICWA will certainly look for you for, for the services to try and achieve. So with that in mind, I just want to spend some time talking about a gap analysis approach. Now, HCI have, have extensive experience, I suppose, in, in applying this type of approach across um, a number of health and social care services. And it has proven to be a very effective tool um, to 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 drive compliance and it's, it's especially effective for services who are maybe starting out on the journey or they're just starting to initiate the process of trying to strive towards uh, regulatory compliance. 
So what is the approach about? Well, a gap analysis is a method of objectively assessing performance. And that word is really going to be central to what we talk about today, is about the objectivity that's required to be able to assess a service's performance. And then from that, to determine whether the requirements, which in this case we know are the national standards, whether they're being meet, met, and if they're not being met, what is the risk to the service? Are your service users more importantly, and what is going to be the steps needs to be taken to meet these requirements? As I said, a gap analysis is a really effective starting point for an action plan to achieve compliance and service improvement. And not only is it going to give us an action plan to see our key areas that our weaknesses in, it's also going to help us to identify what are the resources and training that's going to be required. And if we're risk rating it and if we're identifying the risks and the issues that we may have within our service, we can drive our resources and our priorities specifically in that area. So it's, it's certainly a, a good tool in that regard. As I said, many services will say, well, we complete a lot of audits and audits are certainly an excellent tool also, but gap analysis differs from audit. I would always say audit is a snapshot in time. It's just a picture that's taken and you're assessing from the information you get within a short, you know, within the, a, a framework of time and you're never assessing all of the requirements within audit. Audit is really about verification a process that's already in place and, and assessing whether it conforms to the requirements. But in gap analysis, um, it identifies specific processes that might be left out or are just not developed sufficiently. So it's a much broader, much more expansive process um, than audit per se. So when HCI embark on a gap analysis, irrespective of the health and social care service that it is reviewing, um, there are six key stages that we look at. Um, the first of that being establishing the target. What are we trying to achieve with the gap analysis? We then embark on a planning process, which can be quite extensive depending on uh, the, 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 the amount of, of requirements that have to be assessed. We then have to get in, get out on site and get our hands into the service and really get a proper understanding of the processes and analyzing those processes against uh, the requirements that are there. We then look at detailing those findings, putting that information into a workable scenario that we can then risk rate the findings on uh, based on, on the information that we have. And from that, look at developing a comprehensive step-by-step -step action plan. And we're going to look at each of these six stages individually now and just try and beef them up a little bit so you have a broader understanding, <clears throat> excuse me, of the gap analysis approach. So our first stage is establishing the target. What are we actually trying to achieve? Well, in this case, ideally, the target is full compliance with the national standards. That's our benchmark. That's what we're trying to achieve. Now, it's important to know that this is a movable target. At the moment, we have the national standards. That's what we've got. But there is no doubt there will be further guidelines and information and processes and, in, uh, and policies that will come through uh, the channels that we'll also have to incorporate. Um, so it is movable, but at the moment we need a starting point, and that starting point is the national standards that we have to try and uh, trying to achieve. One of the recommendations is that we try to work on uh, what we call bite-sized chunks. We don't try to assess everything in the one go. Uh, we like within the national standards, there's a, a, a number of additional external documents that are referenced within it. 
it is very difficult to try and pile everything in on top. If we're working on the national standards, we hold with the national standards, we don't incorporate, say, the national standards for safeguarding. You know, we try and manage it in bite-sized chunks and we can, you know, break those into to separate gap analysis as required. But it's important to have a manageable format as we approach it. One of the biggest activities, and it certainly takes a lot of time, and some sometimes that time isn't really uh, visible to everybody that is outside the gap analysis process. It's about planning the process. So we have to look at all aspects of the standard and see how can we group that information and look at the required, the linked information that's that's detailed within it. Having reviewed the standard and, and, and have spent a bit of time and have, have, have worked with services in relation to the standards, there a very broad spread of standards and it's very difficult to go from theme one to theme 10, 10 and just link them across because there is linkages throughout the standards in particular areas. Say if I look at monitoring, there could be elements in theme one, in theme four, in theme six. So what we try and do is group that information so that we're looking at a particular area and the related standards and indicators that link to them. So there is a, a significant period of work of just trying to group that information and knowing exactly who am I going to need to talk to when I'm reviewing this and who are the best people to facilitate that information and support. So we want to cover all aspects of the standards. So this is not an audit. An audit, we just pick and choose uh, the key areas we want to look at. In a gap analysis, we have to look at all aspects of the standard. We want to identify who are going to be the facilitators that are able to do this job, who's going to be able to objectively look at the information and assess it, and who, am, who are those people that need to attend and provide us with the information that we need uh, in relation to it. What I would say is when we're generally planning a gap analysis for a service um, like an IPAS service, we're looking at approximately two to three days, two days of, of interviews and discussions and then uh, one to two days on site reviewing the application of the processes in relation to it. And that is outside what we would call documentation review. So a period of time has to be taken before you embark on your gap analysis where you get to know the review the processes, uh, obviously the regulation that's related to it or the standards that are related to it. So you're going into the gap analysis process with a body of knowledge behind you that you're not going in cold to, uh, to interview individuals uh, in relation to a service provision. So as I said, that agenda is going to be really important and that we have clear timelines and areas for review and discussion in relation to it. A lot of work in relation to that planning. Also, as part of the planning, uh, it's recommended that there is a gap analysis tool. Now, this doesn't have to be very complicated. Across the board, when we complete gap analysis, we use a very simple gap in our Excel sheet where you have your standard and you have your linked indicators uh, grouped to those. What I would say is the standards are very broad within the national standards for the IPAS where the indicators are very specific and there's a lot of information in those indicators. Um, so it really does require each indicator to be reviewed that we can't just look at the standards and kind of brush over the indicators. We need to have really get uh, involved in the type of information that's detailed in those indicators. And that's certainly what um, HICWA will, will, will be doing. 
So then our next stage, if we have our, we have our, our uh, we know what we want to try and achieve, we have our planning done, and now it's about actually analyzing the current processes. And I would certainly say for this stage is the most challenging for a new sector to embark on. And the reason I say that is when we complete a gap analysis or whoever is completing a gap analysis in behalf needs to know what the HICWA approach is. And they have a very specific approach when they embark on inspections and monitoring um, of services. Just to give you an idea of what's out there currently for disability services or, or uh, for children's services or for older people's services, there is a huge body of knowledge already out there in relation to how HICWA approach their inspections. And that information can be applied across the board, irrespective of the type of sectors that they're looking for. But generally, they release two types of documents when they're going to embark on a monitoring process. One is called an assessment judgment framework, which will detail the lines of inquiry that they will look or they will ask uh, when they come on site uh, to review a service. The second document is called a guidance for the assessment of centres, and this details the evidence that's to be reviewed uh, when they go on site. Are they going to look for job descriptions, statements of purpose, what are the you know, contracts they're going to look for? So they give examples of the type of information that they would expect to see. And let's be realistic, Assessing governance in, a, in an older person's services and assessing the governance model that's in an IPA service, it's the same type of information they're going to expect to see. Good governance is good governance. So they will. we can certainly utilize the information that's already out there to prepare ourselves uh, to know exactly what they're going to look for within uh, an IPS service. HCI also utilize HICWA inspection reports. So they're freely available HICWA inspection reports across the health and social care services. So as a matter of course, uh, HCI are continually reviewing that information, pulling it out and seeing what's hot for HICWA. What are they currently reviewing? What's the type of non-compliances they're seeing in governance, in rights, in, in, in care planning, whatever, whatever the case may be, in safeguarding? Uh, what is the type of findings they're looking at and what is coming out of the service information. So again, a big body of information there and knowledge that is important that we need to draw on when we're effectively applying a gap analysis. So understanding that approach by regulatory body, what are the expected lines of inquiry? What are the regulatory body going to expect to see? What are they going to ask of us? What's going to be, what do we need to be able to communicate to them? And what documents will they expect to be available to them when they come on site? Because this is the kind of the key area for gap analysis, what I wanted to do is just to give you a little example um, of, we're gonna look at a standard and an indicator and maybe look at some of the information or findings that HICWA would expect uh, to be provided to them. So I've just picked this standard. This is a service provider has effective leadership, governance arrangements and management arrangements and be under no illusions. Uh, when HICWA come on site, the key focus is on the governance arrangements that are in place. They are not going to, you know, obviously they're going to speak to staff on the ground, but they want to see that the quality and safety of the service provider is being driven by a comprehensive, robust governance framework. So that's one of the key indicators that they're going to look at. So if we look at an indicator from that, I just to, to look at one element of it is in relation to governance lines. So the service provider has clear governance arrangements and structures in place that are clearly explained 
to residents and staff. They set out who the authority and accountability, who, is, who has authority and accountability for what area, and they give individual accountability and specific roles and responsibilities. So they are taken from your, your IPAS standards uh, and, and, and the related indicators. So what would HICWA expect to illustrate compliance with that? Well, from our experience and, and from the experience of the, the many, many hundreds and thousands of inspections that HICWA have done to date, we know that the first thing they're going to expect to see is that there is an, an identified individual, one person who has overall executive accountability, responsibility and authority for the delivery of high quality, safe and reliable services, not just for the delivery of service, but the delivery of the quality and uh, quality, safe and reliable service. That one individual is expected to lead out on a robust governance framework that will have all of the required teams and committees and individuals that are required to support a safe quality service. They're going to expect that one individual to formally report on the quality and safety of the service throughout that governance structure. And they're going to expect that individual to review the accountability arrangements to ensure that they are fit for the intended purpose and that they are effective. So they are certainly going to look for that one individual to carry all of those roles and responsibilities and have documented evidence to reflect the application of those roles and responsibilities. They're going to want to see what that governance arrangement and framework looks like. It, they will expect it to be of appropriate size, scope and complexity for the service that is being provided. They will expect all roles and accountabilities and responsibilities to be clarified specifically in relation to assuring quality and safety. And those two words linked and illustrated throughout of all of that documentation, responsible for quality and safety of the service. And they're also expecting that a governance arrangements to provide assurance that the people that are involved in that governance structure have the required skills and competencies that are necessary to provide assurance for high quality, safe and reliable service. So they're going to expect to uh, the, 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 the governance framework to give them, as I would call it, the warm, fuzzy feeling that the people that are involved in this governance model have, have the competencies and skills to assure the quality and safety of the service. They're certainly going to expect that the arrangements that are in place ensure the collective interests of residents and that they are taken into consideration when decisions are being made about the planning, design and delivery of services. And this is something that HICWA are particularly focused on throughout all of their health and social care services that they're monitoring, that the residents or the service users are integral to the design and development of the service being provided. Not that they just have input um, at the coal face at the actual day-to-day uh, -day runnings of the service, but that they're involved in the planning development and design of the service in that regard. They're also going to expect that the service if it's located on more than one site, that the person with overall executive accountability for the service delegates that accountability for quality and safety to another individual. And certainly delegation has become a real primary focus in, uh, with HICWA, certainly post-COVID, where singular individuals were just overnight taken out of a service. They now expect a full delegation 
structure to be in place so that if an individual is taken out, that there are su sufficient supports in place to ensure that the roles and responsibilities are taken over um, by another individual and that that individual is competent, trained, skilled uh, sufficiently to be able to implement those requirements. So that's what a compliance service is going to look like for HICWA. But how are they going to expect, how, how would they find that information? Well, they have a very uh, uh, specific approach. They call the authority monitoring approach. And they utilize what they call the triangulation model to be able to go out and assess organizations when they're on site. And they, they, they work through interview, documentation, and observation. And all of those three are combined to identify a finding in relation to a compliance level. So if we look at interview, what would they, who would they talk to to try and support a finding in relation to the, the uh, indicator we just talked about? So with communication, they would talk to management staff and residents and they would explore during their on-site inspections, are staff clear on the reporting arrangements? Do they know who who is the boss of who? What's the line, uh, the, the, the line management structure that's in place? They would question whether the residents know who the individual in charge is and how to contact them if they want to do so. They would, uh, they would uh, again, interview and discuss to see if there's clear and appropriate accountability and responsibility arrangements in place outside of core hours. Uh, so to ensure that there is, the arrangements are in place 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And also they would uh, interview and discuss to see if there's identified individual in charge if the service is located on more than one site. So this is by going out, talking to people uh, that are in the service. It's important to note that, you know, when HICWA go out on site and they're interviewing, again, they're not just going to talk to management. They're going to expect management to know all the answers that, uh, the, the, uh, to the questions they have, but they will also be discussing and, and, and um, spending time with uh, frontline staff and with residents or ser service users. So what would they expect to observe when we talk about governance models? Well, they'll expect to observe how the individual with overall accountability engages with their other leaders, with their managers and with their staff. They'll want to see what meetings are ongoing within the service and who is present on site on the day that they visit. So this is part of their ob observation approach. And from a documentation perspective, what would they look at? Well, they'll certainly look at any organization charts or organograms. They'll pull out job descriptions, anything that would reflect accountability and reporting structures. They'll certainly look for terms of reference for all of your teams and committees with defined agendas, reviewing minutes um, and, and, and the outputs that are arising from those meetings. They'll look at your audit records to see internal monitoring approach that's being implemented in relation to your governance. They'll look for surveys and feedbacks to look at the integration of your residents' communications um, and how they're involved in the design and planning and the governance structure. And if there are any annual reports on quality and safety of the service being provided. So that's the type of information and documentation they'll expect to see. So it's important when we're implementing a gap analysis that we bring that HICWA approach. We need to have that information with us. What is the sort of, uh, in, uh, who are they going to talk to? What documentation are they going to look for? And uh, uh, 
they what are they going to expect to see? Because we want our gap analysis to be as reflective of a HICWA um, on-site inspection as possible. So it's really important as a guidance to look beyond the paperwork. I know some people when they come on site and they audit, it's very, you know, they might just stay in the office and looking through records and paperwork, but it's really important get out on the floor and we make real observations and 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 complete one-to-one -one discussions. But as I said, objectivity is really, really critical at this stage. And it, that is very challenging for organizations, particularly those with maybe smaller governance structures or place. It's really important that we are reflective of the regulatory body approach. We want to look for evidence of implementation. We need to observe those processes. Obviously, we want to be considerate of the privacy, dignity and consent of our, our residents. Um, but as I said, a broader approach, talking to, to staff, not just management. And one of the key things that HICWA, I think, uh, bring is that they, they always will discuss with staff, well, do you know what to do when things go wrong? It's not just about assessing the process. Well, I do this and I do this and I go there and this is documented. But what happens when something goes wrong? Do they understand the risks associated with the particular process that they're doing? And what is the escalation process when something goes wrong? Look, at it's life. Some, some, you know, things will go wrong. Uh, things will go awry. But do they know what the escalation process and the communication process is should an issue arise uh, with, within the application of a process? Just some of the examples generally of the documentation types they review, they look for operational plans, charts, set terms of reference, audit reports, KPIs, quality improvement projects, risk registers, HR files across the board, your job descriptions, performance reviews, supervision records, staff rotas, individual support plans. Survey reports, complaints, certainly significant as are incident and adverse event reports and supplier contracts and monitoring records. And that's something that you really need to have a key focus on. If it's a thing that you are outsourcing something that is directly impacting on the quality or safety of the service that you are providing, you remain responsible for that service. But you must ensure that you have sufficient contract in place that clearly details the roles and responsibilities of that external provider in relation to uh, the quality and safety of service being provided. But it is, it remains your job to be the monitor of that service and to ensure the quality of, of that. So that's certainly something that they will look at uh, for those of you who may be outsourcing particular elements of it. So with all of that information in place, we've been out on site, we've talked to management, we've pulled data and information, we've reviewed records, we then have to detail our findings. So then within this, we want to compare the current evidence of compliance, the evidence of what we have seen and read and discussed with individuals, and we want to compare it against the requirements and identify the gaps in between. Again, it's a very simple approach here. I've standard the indicator and I've detailed a finding in relation to it. So here I've said there's an informal governance framework in place only. It didn't provide sufficient detail regarding roles, responsibilities or accountabilities of individuals or teams. There was no organogram, no committee terms of reference or job descriptions available. In interview staff detail, they were unclear on reporting arrangements. None of the residents that were spoken to as part of the process were clear on who the individual in charge was on site. So a number of significant issues identified here within the finding. So what do we do with it then? What's really important 
again, to be as reflective as possible with the HICWA approach, we need to risk rate it. So what does that mean? Well, we want to follow the risk rating generally that HICWA apply. So they talk about something being compliant, being green, something substantially compliant. So it's generally met the requirement, but there's a little bit of action required to get it across the line fully, but it's identified really as a low risk. Then you have an area of non-compliance, and that is rated generally as an orange or a red. So if an orange, it is not complied with the requirement, but they don't identify it as a real risk to the health, safety and welfare of the residents. Whereas with non-compliant red, they identify that being a significant risk to the safety, health and welfare of the residents. So again, the risk register, the risk um, assessment level that is, is totally focused on the risk to the resident. Um, so that has to be our primary focus when we're assessing uh, an issue should it arise and be non-compliant. So with the level of non-compliance that's here, lack of accountability, uh, lack of, of, of a governance structure, lack of, of understanding by staff and residents, in this case, this would certainly be identified as a red risk uh, by HICWA. So we'll be reflective of that and we can identify that as a risk. And then on the basis of that, we need to develop an action plan. Obviously, if it was HICWA, they would just be handing us back our findings at that stage. But in the gap analysis, we've identified the problem ourselves with the open hand and the clarity of that. So our job now is to develop an action plan on that basis. And this is about developing a comprehensive step-by-step -step action plan to bring the current status up to that required status to meet the registry requirements. It's really important when we're developing this action plan individuals need to be given re responsibility to do these actions. There's no point giving it to teams because it'll sit in a team and it'll go round and round and it'll be discussed at a meeting and it will never get over the line. It is expected that individuals are given the tasks that are in hand. It's important to set a timeline for implementation. This can't be on the never, never, particularly with regulatory, uh, with the monitoring that's coming down the line quite quickly for the service. We need to be very clear in setting our timelines for implementation. Those open actions, we need to ensure we can create them as what we would call quality improvement projects or whatever the organization may call them, but they need to be reviewed on a scheduled basis. That may be weekly, it may be monthly, depending on how serious or what high risk uh, the, 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 the non-conformance has been identified are. But it is really important that irrespective of wherever we review it in whatever team, that it has to be documented in the team minutes, what was the status of the, of, of the actions uh, as we continue on. So in this case, some of the types of QIPs, it might be developing an organogram detailing the governance framework, developing the job descriptions for each role in line with the national standards, developing the committee listing with the terms of reference agendas and minute templates, develop and implement a communication strategy for staff and residents to ensure effective communication of government's arrangements. So in this person, this poor A and other has gotten all of those jobs and he has set his timeline and his status as detailed is open. So we now have the development of our quality improvement projects that we are going to monitor on an ongoing basis. So those are our six stages as a, an approach. Uh, as I said, we've talked about establishing that target being compliance with our national standards. We have a work to do in relation to completing the planning, how we're going to approach this um, and the time that's, that's required to implement it and who best to be able to do this work uh, objectively. How we're going to analyze the current processes to be as reflective as possible of the HICWA approach. 
How are we going to detail the findings and pulling that information together that will then support a risk rating uh, based on the quality and safety of the service being provided to our residents or service users. And from that, developing a comprehensive step-by-step -step action plan. Now, what I would say in relation to our experience with HICWA, when we're when organizations throw themselves into a gap analysis and develop a comprehensive um, a set of QIPs or, or build an action plan and are continuously working at it, they certainly see this as a very positive measure when they come on site. I mean, it is expected that uh, when a new service is, is, is monitored that there will be issues, but certainly it, um, it gives um, an opportunity for the service to show an openness and uh, a progressive approach uh, to try and achieve compliance where there has been a gap analysis done and where we have a body of, 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 uh, of QIPs that we are working towards. So that is certainly identified as something that uh, is, 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 in, is, is towards the positive uh, in relation to, to the HICWA uh, mindset. Just to close, I would say... Um, HICWA inspections are not like the NCT. We can't run them through and see what problems they identify and hope then we'll just fix those ones. Uh, they clarify within their uh, the, their report, uh, that was their annual report in 22, it remains the case that all providers are responsible for assessing the adequacy of their services and must not rely on inspectors to review their performance and identify risks and improvements that are required to ensure the safety of residents. That is your job not HICWAS, um, and they will be make no bones about it, certainly when they come on site to monitor their services, monitor your services. So with all of that in mind, how can HCI help? Well, certainly HCI have been involved in gap analysis for the IPS service and across the health and social care service provisions. Um, and we can complete this uh, on your behalf against the national standards. And from that, develop a comprehensive report, which will not only look at some of the areas of non-compliance and, 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 and risk rate in relation to that, but also in relation to areas of good practice, which is also important to highlight. And if you have any uh, questions, I'm sure Rosemary would be more than happy to field any questions, but you can contact us at the email address here or phone us. I think we're available on all of the sites. Now, just before I finish, um, I know that Rosemary will be making this presentation or this webinar available on all of our social media channels. Um, so should you um, be interested in letting some of your other uh, colleagues know or that they, this might be of interest to them, please point them in that direction. Um, okay. That's it. I think I've taken up enough of your time, but I really appreciate all of you who have attended. Um, so um, with that, I'm sure we will be linking in again. The webinar series continues. Rosemary will be chipping in and out and letting you all know if we have anything else of value to you. But please feel free. Keep an eye on our website and let us know if we can do anything to support you as you move forward in your compliance journey.